following message is from New Life Gillette series, Energy Source. This week, Pastor Chris McFadden presents part one of this series. Well, good morning. Welcome to those of you who are in the room. You did it. You trekked. I don't know how you got here. I don't know if you walked or what monster truck you drive, but good work. You made it. To those of you who are at home, you may be the smart ones. I don't know. Uh, but welcome to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail. You are in for a treat today. We're starting a new series called Energy Source, and we're talking about how it seems that, why is it that Christians have the energy to to push on and to, to, to press on when it seems like everybody else is falling apart? Somehow Christians seem to have this strength and power to move on and to continue forward uh, because we believe that our energy comes from a different place. And so this series is all about that. We're going to be walking through the whole book of Colossians. We were originally planning to do a four-week series. I started preparing for the series. I realize there's no way we're getting through the book of Colossians in four weeks. So right now it's six weeks. I don't know. It may even go on uh, longer, but it's going to be great. I hope you'll join us for all of the messages in this series. And you get the treat of hearing from one of my best friends, a guy named Chris McFadden. Used to be on staff here at the church. Now he's a pastor in Kansas. Uh, And just, just Mel, maybe selfishly, I'd like to reminisce for a minute. So watch this as we reminisce about when he was on staff here. Hey, Mike. Guess what time it is? Jeff Lightning here. I'm the worship minister over at Interdenominational Highland Park Valley Church for Christ. Frozen broccoli. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can sing it for you. <clears throat> oh, say again. Espionage. Espionage. You want a... Espionage. No. A sandwich. I do want a sandwich, but I'm saying espionage. Yes. A sandwich sounds really good about right now. I'd take a sandwich. It does, and I think in that, those clips, at best, there are, are questionable fashion choices. Uh, the short shorts in the park, yep. Those would not meet most youth, most youth camp requirements. No, I don't think I don't they'd think. let you in. So You'd be kicked good. out, yeah. No, hey, uh, I'm so excited that Chris is here, and I, I know that you guys are going to be blessed by him as well. So would you please put your hands together and say thank you to Chris McFadden. Thank you, and uh, I'm so thankful and I'm blessed to get to be here with those of you who are here in the service and those of you joining us online. Uh, When Wyoming issues a blizzard warning, they mean it. So when you drive uh, almost 10 hours from southwest Kansas, you should bring more than tennis shoes. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I kind of uh, sloughed on that one. But as Mike said, uh, he asked me uh, a few months ago if I would be willing to bring a message out of Colossians chapter 1. I was so uh, thankful and grateful to get to do so. We get to jump straight into this amazing, incredible book and uh, kind of ask some questions and talk a little bit about it. So I want to draw your attention to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, this is going to be verses 15 through 23. You can turn there if you want. You can um, open it in your a Bible or an app. Or you know what? One thing to remember too is that scripture was meant to be heard. So you can just simply listen as I read this passage and kind of get us kicked off today. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Christ is the visible image of the invisible 
God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. And so he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and everything on earth by by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now... He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in the physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Lord, bless the reading and hearing of your word today to your honor and your glory. Amen. I'm going to talk a little bit about this passage and make some observations, but really, I want you to hear something so important. If for some reason you don't hear anything else I say, if it goes right in your one ear and out the other, and that's happened to me before, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Hear this from this message from Paul, is that you can stand firm in everything in life. You can remain strong in every circumstance in life because Christ is supreme. That is the main point. Because Christ is primary, because Christ is supreme, you can deal with anything life throws at you. Don't miss that. Now, let me say a couple of quick words about Colossians because I'm a preacher and a Bible teacher and a Bible nerd, and I got to say something about it. So if you're new to reading the Bible, this may be helpful to kind of put Colossians in a framework to understand it. If you've been reading the Bible for years and years and years and you're not new, it's just going to be good review for you. And a lot of this information you can probably find in a good study Bible if you have one of those that you can look at. But as you might be aware, the Bible itself is not uh, a book, right? It's not just one book that we read. We, don't, we think of it as a book, the book, the Bible. But the book isn't, it isn't really just one book. It's a collection of books and letters and songs and poems and what we call historiography, narrative history. It's all these things together, kind of edited into a single volume. And this Bible is divided into two sections, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. And the 
the Old Testament describes how God made a covenant with Israel, with these ancient people. God said, you're my people. I'm going to covenant with you. I will be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to put my glory to the world through you. And that, that's the Old Testament tells that story of Israel's struggles and their covenant. Then you get to the New Testament, and the New Testament starts with the birth of Jesus, right? This is God made man, God in human form. And Jesus comes out of the scene, and he does his earthly ministry, and then he, he dies on the cross as payment for our sins and resurrects from the dead. We just celebrated that last week in Easter. He resurrects, and he ascends to, to heaven. He leaves the Holy Spirit, and, and the birth of the church happens in the New Testament, right? The church is born. And today, in this room, we exist in that same era. We're in the New Testament era as, a, as, a, as Christian history goes. So what happened was, uh, during this whole growth, there were these missionaries that went out and began to plant churches. And Paul is like the first uh, missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, sometimes he's called St. Paul. You may have heard him called the Apostle Paul. He's this guy that began to go out and plant churches. And he went all these regions and planted churches. And one of the places he went was this city called Colossae, which is no longer there, but it would be in modern day Turkey. And you'll find a lot of uh, these areas are in Turkey and North Africa over in this kind of zone. And he was in modern day Turkey where he planted this church, uh, Colossae, Colossae. So he's writing the letter to the church at Colossae. Thus we have Colossians, right? Now, it's important for you to know this because I, I emphasize this a lot in my own teaching. Paul is writing, Paul is a specific guy writing a specific letter to a very specific church, right? This is a real person writing a real letter to a real church. Listen, Paul did not sit down and think that he was writing the Bible. You see what I'm saying? He didn't sit down and go, okay, Bible draft number 37. Let's go. Here, we're going to get it right this time, Paul. He had no idea. The Holy Spirit was behind the scenes knitting together all this stuff we had that's necessary for our salvation, necessary for us to believe in Jesus. That's why we have the Bible. And Paul didn't know he was writing the Bible. So what Paul wrote, he wrote to the Colossians. It was a letter written to that church. It's a letter written to them, not us, but it's a letter for us, for our spiritual benefit to build our faith, to help us know who Jesus is, to grow what seeds are planted in us in ministry. And I think it's really cool that a single book can span 2,000 years of history, a single group of texts can span 2,000 years of history and still speak to us today, church. Isn't that cool? The way that God works through the Holy Bible. So Paul's writing this. He's going to write to these young, these young Christians in a young church as this church is growing. And he's trying to kind of say, where do I begin? Where do I, what do I talk about as first and foremost? I make the central kind of thesis, my main point. What's my jumping off point? And man, this is just brilliant when you see how Paul does this. There's a reason why God worked through him. He's an amazing author. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And he starts with the simplest, most Sunday school answer anybody can give. Do you know if you're sitting in Sunday school or you're sitting under Bible teaching and the, the, the teacher asks you a question, you know what answer you can always give that will get you an A? Anybody know? Jesus, right? <laughs> Any question that anybody asks you about the Bible, the answer can always be Jesus. In Sunday school, and if it's not, if Jesus isn't actually the right answer, you can't be wrong if you say Jesus, the teacher just goes, oh yeah, he's great. Now back to my question. 
Where do you start? You start with Jesus. And that's just where Paul starts. Paul says, listen, Colossians, I want you to understand something. Before we go anywhere, we got to start with Jesus. And then he launches into this beautiful, heartfelt poem about who Jesus is. Verses 15 through 20. It's just, can you just see and hear Paul's adoration for Jesus? and all the things that Jesus is, all the attributes. I like to imagine that Paul was writing this letter and he just stopped and leaned back in his seat and closed his eyes and just reflected on his Savior. And it just brought tears to his eyes. I can imagine him writing this little poem about all the things Jesus is with tears streaming down his face as he just shares the deepest thoughts as the Holy Spirit is just in him, speaking through him. Now, our Bible is organized into these sections, right? So, so every book in the Bible or every, every um, story letter, whatever you come to, has chapter numbers. And then some of your Bibles will have subheadings, like they'll have written a subheading, like Jesus goes to Nazareth or whatever, Jesus clears the temple. And then within those subheadings, there's, there's chapter numbers and then there's verse numbers, right? And you realize as, as modern people, all of that stuff is invented, right? So, so none of that's in the original manuscript. It's just all words that are on the page. We just read it. But, but we invent all those little headings and subheadings and stuff. And this is why, let me just give you a really quick warning if you're new to reading the Bible especially. Don't believe Bible teachers who try to use verses for numerology stuff. You know, like, oh, if verse uh, 523 means on May 23rd, dot, dot, dot. no, no, no. All that's man-made extra stuff added. But I want to say something. I think the subheading in this section is utterly brilliant. In the NLT version, the heading for this section says, Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. If you have an older translation like I study from, it may say, and mine says, the preeminence of Christ. Christ is supreme, the preeminence of Christ. Doesn't that sound so good and yet also kind of like so super churchy? Like, like what does that mean? What is, what is Christ's supremeness or his preeminence Mean. Now, preeminence means today in our language, it surpasses all others, surpassing all others. Like, for example, McDonald's holds the spot for the preeminent French fries in all of fast food. Amen? Somebody amen that, right? Listen, I, this is not an opinion. This is objective fact, okay? I will fight you. Listen, it, let me just make one statement about McDonald's fries. By the way, it's a radical sliding scale. You notice this? So the hotter the fries are, the most amazing, delicious flavor explosion in your taste buds possible. The colder the fries are, the more they taste like an Amazon box. So eat them while they're hot. But we know McDonald's fries are just the best. They're the, they're hot McDonald's fries is the best. Maybe you've watched a TV show, or I know I'm kind of old, maybe you've streamed something. Maybe you watched a show or streamed a show with like lords and ladies and kings and queens in it. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever watched Game of Thrones in here? Oh, no, you sinners! You can't confess that in church. But you can't lie. Don't lie. You're in church. Don't lie. No, I'm just teasing you. Just kidding. But you know, you watch a, 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 a show about lords and ladies and kings and queens, and what do they always tell these lords and ladies? They say, your eminence, Right? Hello, your eminence. Oh, your eminence. What does that mean? It means first, right? Surpassing all others, your eminence. But, but in the Bible, Paul is writing in Greek, 
And the verse he's going to use, the word he's going to use in Greek, is, is, is a little bit more than that. So here it is in, in Colossians 1, uh, verse 18, he says this, that he is the beginning, he is supreme over all who rose from the dead. He is supreme, and that Greek word tracks in the same way, but the connotation is this, he is supreme over all, he is first over all, but he's also in the first place. He got there first, and he is first, and he's in the first place. It's very specific that Christ is absolutely the first. He is supreme, unchallenged. And his place as supreme, his place is unchallenged. It surpasses every single other thing. Why? Paul's going to say why. He's going to tell us, listen, I'll tell you why Christ is supreme. Verses 15 through 20, and he goes through this list, this wonderful list of attributes. He is the visible image of an invisible God. If you want to see God, where do you look? You look at Jesus. That's what God looks like. He looks like Jesus. And there's all these attributes Paul's going to put on this page. And you can see them, kind of how you can track his thoughts here. He says, he existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all of creation. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. You're talking about Jesus as existing before, preeminent, supreme. He, everything that we see, everything we know about was created through Jesus. It was created through him. He's the means of creation. But what's cool is not only is he the means, he's also the purpose of creation. All things were made through him and all things were made for him. He is supreme. He's the object, the orientation of creation. He holds it all together. His very being holds it all together. I once had a Bible teacher say, if Christ quit thinking about you, you would cease to exist because he holds it all together. He's the head of the church. Listen, there's no church on earth that is actually headed up by a pastor like me. Or pastor like Pastor Mike or Pastor Karen, Pastor Paul, Pastor Darcy, Pastor Sarah. We are not the head of the church. We do the earthly work that Christ has given us to do in the church. But let me tell you something, and I know myself and all those pastors recognize that Jesus is the supreme head of the church. He's the one in charge unchallenged and and, and not, not anybody else, not Paul, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. No, it's Jesus. He's the head of the church. He is supreme over all those who rise for the dead. The first resurrected. He's the first one that resurrected from the grave, and he is supreme over all of our resurrections. We recognize as Christians that someday our bodies will be resurrected from the dead, and Christ is supreme over. He's the first resurrected. He's also divine. He's fully God and fully man. God was pleased to dwell in him. God is fully in Christ, but he yet is also fully man. Not only that, but through Christ, God did his fixing work to reconcile the world to himself. God took the sin and the brokenness and the beat upness of the world, and he made that right through Jesus' death on the cross and through his, recon- uh, his resurrection, God reconciled us. And in doing that, God made peace with humanity. All of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our evil thoughts and evil deeds, God made peace with us through Jesus Christ. Christ. Whew, big breath, right? Uh, Paul, is, is that everything? Is that all? 
How supreme is Jesus, church? He is supreme. He's absolutely first and foremost and primary. And there is absolutely nothing that challenges him. And let me tell you from my experience with Jesus, he's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's awe-inspiring. He's the truth. And he holds everything true together. He desires a relationship with, with us, even in our brokenness. Even though sin has beaten us up and beaten us down, God desires a relationship with us, and he did it. He expressed his desire through Jesus Christ in the flesh. He brings us near to him. He brings us peace. It's through Jesus that God cleanses us of our sins. It's through Jesus that God resurrects us from the dead. It's through Jesus that God gives us the power over sin to live a life of purity and cleanliness. We can live that way. This is all done through Jesus. Christ made peace with everything in the world. And look what Paul says in Colossians 1.21. Look what he says. He says, this includes you who were once far from God. You were his enemies and you were separated by him by your evil thoughts and your actions. You ever felt the absolute brokenness of your sin in your life? You ever felt that deep weight, that soul-tugging weight that strips at your inner being because of the sin that you've had to deal with in your life? I have. I have been there. I have been in that spot where, where, where darkness and where the power of sin in my life and the power of death had, had ripped my heart out of my chest. I have been to the place in life where sin had absolutely swept my legs out from underneath me and I've been laying on the ground broken and beaten and bloody. I have absolutely been there. And some of you who are here today and some of you watching online, you've been there too. And maybe you're there now and, and you sense a weight of sin and shame on your heart, and you think to yourself, I am so far away from God. God. Why would God, God must hate me for all the things that I've done. You say, Chris, you, you don't know. You don't know me. You don't know all the junk that I've done. You have no idea what I've gone through and what I've done and said. God must hate me. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ is supreme, and he is supreme over your sin, and your shame, and your brokenness. He's supreme over your pain. He's so supreme over it that he went to the cross and died for you. He rose to new life, and he was the first resurrected. He's divine over that. He was the first resurrected, and he doesn't hold his resurrection power away from his people, but he gives it freely. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you will feel reconciliation. You will be made right with God. You will feel peace with God. And if that's you today, I encourage you to dwell in that moment and recognize that God is not pushing you away, but that you can trust in a God who is supreme. Even though you feel far away, he's called you. Now, maybe you have confessed Jesus as your savior and you say, I'm following Jesus. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you would say, you know what, Chris? I, don't, I do feel far away from God. 
I'm in that spot you're talking about. I believe in Jesus, but I feel far away from God. I don't feel close to him at all. In fact, I feel like I'm separated from him. And here's the great thing. 2,000 years ago, a guy named Paul wrote this letter for you. He spoke directly words for you. And Paul gives an instruction. I think a lot of this passage is aimed at those of us who, who are beaten down, who are believers in Christ. We trust in Christ. We're beaten up by life. We're beaten down. And Paul says this, and this is in verse 23. This is so important. This is what Paul says. He says, but you must continue to believe in this truth. But you must continue to believe in this truth and stand firmly in it. Listen, stop right there at the butt. Listen, the Bible likes big butts and it cannot lie. It's a fact. Whenever you come across a big butt in the Bible, stop. Just pause for a second. Look at that butt and figure out what's com what comes before it and what's coming after it. Don't miss it. See, Paul wrote all these beautiful words about Jesus. He explained who Jesus was and how glorious and supreme he is. And then he said, listen, if you feel far away from God, he's there for you when you were yet an enemy. He still loves you. And he said, but I'm far away from God. And, God's, and, and, and Paul would say, no, listen, he lays all that down, but he gives a but. And here's what the but says, but you must continue, but you must continue to believe in this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you receive when you heard the good news. Our response to who Jesus is, to his supremeness, his preeminence, his primacy, our response to that is to stand firm and believe. Continue to believe and stand firm. Now listen, that doesn't, church, that does not save us. The prophet Isaiah says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. All our righteous deeds and righteous things we do. There's no moral checklist that, that, that Pastor Mike is filling out that you, know, you don't have a file folder here at the church and he puts gold stars on you when you do nice things. God doesn't have one of those in heaven. He's not piling up gold bricks with your name on them. None of that's happening. Our righteousness, our good deeds don't do anything. It's the primacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ that saves us. But Paul says what? But continue to believe. Stand firm. That's our role. Now, I've been living in, in rural Kansas for about six years now. I've been pastoring a little rural church. And when you live in rural Kansas and you pastor a rural church, you do rural things. Now, you can tell by looking at me, that I am a, a true cowboy, right? Um, I left my spurs at home in my 10-gallon hat. The only 10-gallon thing I have are my pants. I don't, I'm not really that in shape, and I'm not really a cowboy. Nonetheless, you try to acclimate and do rural things, and when farmers and ranchers need help, you jump in and help when you can. And a friend of mine uh, who was a rancher, he passed away last year after a bout with cancer. And he left um, some cattle behind. When he passed away, he had a, a herd of cattle. He wasn't prepared to be done with life. And they had calves. And so his, his brother-in-law, who is one of my best friends, named Alvin, and Alvin and Alvin's son, Ross, were going to go work these calves for, for this family that, passed, that the husband passed away. And I said, hey, ooh, sign me up. I'll come help. I've never worked cattle before. Now, has anybody in here ever worked cattle before? Uh, I see a couple of hands here. May I work cattle online? Yeah. So uh, I had never worked cattle before. So I got my best cowboy clothes on, 
which was a pair of Columbia hiking boots I have. My wife says they're not, are not boots. They're just like hiking shoes. I got my jeans on. I went out there and Alvin says to me, okay, whenever we have a city slicker come out or a new person working cattle, your job is you're going to be in the, in the corral getting the calves into the chute. That's the rookie's job. I said, okay, what's that entail? I said, well, it's like this. There's an assembly line. So Ross is going to be in the big corral. And Ross's job is going to get the calves from the big corral to you, Chris. You're in the small corral. And then your job is to herd the calf into the chute. And the chute is where we're going to tag the calf on the ear. And if the calf is a male calf, we're going to do other stuff that we're not going to talk about in church, right? That's what we're going to do with these calves, right? So that's your job. Okay, great. So all I got to do is I got to herd a calf from a, from a big crowd to a small crowd. I can do that. Perfect. Next question. What, what does herding a calf mean? And Alvin says this to me. He says, it's easy. Here's the deal. What you do is you get right up on that calf as close as you can. You want to go hip to hip, like non-Wesleyan official dancing stance, right? You know, you can't dance like this in the club. You want to get hip to hip with this cow, get right up on it, and you're going to usher it into the chute. That's your job. And I said, Alvin, quickly, why do I have to hip hug the calf? Alvin says, well, Chris, they kick. Okay. He says, if you get real close to them and you get real comfortable, they can't, you know, they can't get their foot up and you'll watch them. They're trying to kick you, but they can't. You're too close. They can't kick you. Okay. So he says, stay up on their hips. You'll be fine. I'm like, all right, I got this. I'm, I'm rhinestone cowboy. You know what I'm saying? I'm like a uh, city slicker. I'm ready to go. So we get the first, Ross gets the first calf, comes in the corral, perfect. I see this calf and I run up and I get on. I'm like, this is weird, but I can do this. And I'm herding this calf and I'm steering him and I get him in and boom, he gets to the chute, chute clamps down, flips over, boom. Alvin's working on him, no problem. Woo, Chris McFadden one, calves zero. I'm feeling good. There's only like 40 more to go. And I got this. I'm waiting for the next calf to go. Then Ross finally gets ready. He gets some more calves up, in, up to the front of the corral, but the door opens, and as he lets this calf through, another angry calf muscles his way in. So we now we have a situation on our hands. We have two calves in my part of the corral. Now, I have been trained for one calf, right? I have been trained to move one calf forward. I don't know what to do with two calves. And so I'm freaking out and I'm like, okay, I got to get up on the calves. And as I get up on the calves, there's these two calves here and time slows. And I have to make a decision, right? And these two calves begin to part ways like the Red Sea. And I have to make a choice. And I'm thinking, oh, I wasn't trained for this. I, in my brief uh, two-second training, I did not account for two calves. I don't know what to do. I'm starting to freak out. I'm starting to lose my, my brain is going by, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And I decide, okay, I've got to make a decision. I got to stick to one calf and go for it. And in the time I have thought this, guess what happened? The calves got just enough space. And as I turn to face one of the calves, I see this calf has raised his knee up like to his chin. He, all the muscles, it looks like Hulk from Avengers. All the muscles are flexed. There are veins rippling. I can see the calf is actually wearing a tank top that says, do you even lift, bro? He's got his leg up. And in a half a second, he just unleashes just poof. This, the air flies and he unleashes a hoof and it lands directly below my belt buckle in the spot where a man does not want to be kicked by a calf. You follow me? The bell has been rung, okay? And I get stung by this, and this calf is about 400 pounds, 300, 400 pounds. 
These were late, late calves because we, were, we, were, we had a catastrophe, right? So I get stung so hard. And I look over and I can see Alvin and him and his son are looking at me wide-eyed and their first genuine response, you know, is like, hey, are you okay? And that devolves into hideous laughter, giggling and carrying on like schoolgirls. And, and actually, I'll just quote Alvin. This is a direct quote. Alvin said, to this day, I have never seen a more perfect kick from a calf to a man's groin in my life. He's a 63-year-old farmer, rancher. And let me tell you something. When I got kicked, you know what happened to me? My stomach left my body. My periphery got dark. You ever passed out before? It got sandy. And I knew, church, I knew for a fact I was passing out. It hurt. It, it was that shocking to me. And the only thing I could do in that moment was I look to my left and I lean over and I just grab one of those, those steel rails that make up the corral, you know, the, the rails. And I just lean on this rail and I grab on. And I'm telling you, church, had I not grabbed that steel rail, I would have landed straight in what the cows leave on the ground. I would have been flat on my back. There was no way I could have stood firmly. And it took me, embarrassingly, 20 to 25 minutes before I could get out of that corral. We had to stop operations until I got my legs back underneath me. My knees were wobbly and weak, and finally I got out of there and I went and sat down for a while and got, my, got myself back. But I'm telling you, when I got hit, there was nothing stopping me from going straight to the ground, except for that steel rail that propped me up. Now I realize this story is silly. I realize it's funny. But I want to tell you something, church. There's a reason why Jesus told stories to get his point across. The problem occurred for me when I quit listening to Alvin's instruction. <laughs> when I got off track. When I didn't understand what to do. And when I got a curveball thrown at me, two calves at once, and I freaked out, and I lost, I got confused. And as soon as I quit doing that, I got kicked. Let me tell you something. I will guarantee you one thing in this life. You are going to get kicked. Life is going to kick you hard. And just like a 400-pound calf, life is not gentle with its kicks. It will hurt you. And if you're sitting in here and maybe you're young or maybe you think you kind of had a, a well-guarded life and you haven't been kicked, well, God bless you. Go with God. It's coming. Those of you who are older along the way, got more, more miles in your odometer than I do, you know it's going to kick you. And when you get kicked out of nowhere, when you get kicked out of the blue, the question is, what will happen? Will you stand firm or will you collapse? Do you have something to grab onto? Somebody to hold you up. If I hadn't had a steel rail, I would have been in the ground. And I'm telling you today, if you don't have a supreme Jesus to hold on to, when life kicks you, you will be in the ground. You will not be able to stand firm. My friends, I will assure you of this. Nobody gets out of life alive. And there comes a point when we have to trust in a supreme Jesus. 
and one who is king over all things. Every circumstance in life, no matter how hard life tries to kick you, no matter what life throws your way, we have to trust in a Jesus who is first and foremost and above all things. We have a Jesus who has not only that great, but who has reconciled us out of our sin and brokenness and made us right with God and has granted us peace with God today, amen? And we have to trust in that. That has to be our living hope. Nothing else can drive us. Nothing else can keep us firm. Nothing else will keep us standing amidst life's kicks. To believe in Jesus with all that you have, to cling to him, to stand firm and hold the truth you've been taught, that's what will give you the energy to make it through. Then and only then will you be able to have true hope to stand firm in these difficulties in life. I've seen it time and time again in my own life and the life of others. And just like the apostle Paul poured his heart out to these Colossians, I wanna pour my heart out to you and remind you that Jesus Christ is supreme. There's no other way. There's no other steel rail to keep you on your feet. Just one, and it's Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful that you gave us your son, Jesus, the, the son that you were most pleased with, that you loved dearly. Lord, we know that you know what it feels like to suffer grief and loss when your own son was lost, Lord, on the cross. But we know that you had a plan. We know that because we know that your son, Jesus, is supreme, that he is first and foremost, that he is above all creation. He existed before creation, that all creation was made through him, that all creation is made for him, that he sustains all of creation, that he's divine. He was the first resurrected and the one to grant us our resurrection power. And Lord, we know that Jesus came and died and rose and ascended, Lord, to give us new life life, to reconcile us to you, to bring us peace before you. Father, send your Holy Spirit on us that we might be able to experience that peace by standing firm, by believing in what you've taught us and standing firm in that faith. And we ask today, God, that if it's the first time we've made a decision to follow you, if it's the first time we've sensed the weight of our sin and we're asking you, Jesus, King Jesus, the preeminent, the supreme, if we're asking you to take that sin, Lord, would you take that sin from us today? Remove that burden from us. And Lord, grant that those folks, if they make a decision like that today or, or if they're watching online and they hear that, that they would tell somebody about it. Message somebody, speak with a pastor or a leader at New Life. Lord, somebody get connected so they can stand firm. And for those of us, Lord, who do trust and believe in you, but we have felt far from you. We have felt alienated. I pray you breathe your, your new life into us, your peace into us. Help us again, Lord, to stand firm in knowing who you are. No matter what happens in our life and how we might be hurt, that, Lord, you are supreme. And we put these things in your trust and care, Lord. We rest in you, knowing that you're good and you look out for our good. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We pray that you would continue to bless us and keep us near to you. We ask these things today in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.